is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here. And I just want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Special welcome to anybody who's listening to us through our website or through our podcast. You also are welcome to come and worship with us here in Flossmore. Well, it's the holiday season. Um, holiday season is full swing. Did anybody go shopping on Black Friday? Just a couple of you, you Thursday. You, wow. Uh, online, that doesn't, that doesn't count. That doesn't count. But the holidays are in full swing. And uh, my mom, for Thanksgiving, instead of just going over to her house and cooking a big meal, this time she, she rented this, uh, this condo over in Wisconsin Dales. And myself and all of our siblings and all of our family and children sort of gathered for a couple of days up in Wisconsin. I'll tell you, I just left there not only full from the meal, but I left very full because I just was very in touch with how, how blessed I am. And I'm very in touch with how much God has given me and how, 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 how together we are during the holidays. And I just felt extremely blessed. And it seems to me that around the Thanksgiving holidays, especially, I'm usually put in touch with how thankful and how grateful I am. I'm also usually uh, reminded of how ungrateful that I could be throughout the rest of the year. You know, as Thanksgiving rolls around and I'm just filled with gratitude, I'm filled with appreciation, I can see all of God's blessings in clear view. I'm just filled with emotions sometimes and I'm filled with gratitude. And I realize that there's generally a deficit throughout the rest of the year. But I thought this morning that as I came here right off the heels of Thanksgiving holiday that I would sort of strike while the iron is hot, while Thanksgiving is still yet warm in your hearts. I thought I'd take the opportunity to talk about something that is absolutely necessary in the life of human beings, especially in the lives of those who call themselves Christians, and that is none other than gratitude. I've called this talk this morning simply, Gratitude is Essential. Gratitude is Essential. One of the things that I've done in my life to help simplify my life and help me to see things with a very clear view is I've learn to sort of subconsciously ask myself, what is essential? What is necessary? In other words, what do I need? And everything else beyond that is bonus. What do I need to be the person that God has called me to be? What do I need to fulfill God's purpose for my life? Okay? So when I consider what God's purpose is, to love God and to love others, I compile a short list of things that I absolutely need in my life if I'm going to do that well. There are certain things that are good. There are certain things that it's really nice to have those things. But there is a short list of things that you can't even begin to fulfill God's purpose in your life without those. And I won't spend any time naming those things. But I'll just talk about the one that I've come to talk about this morning. And that is gratitude. And I'll tell you this plainly. If you don't learn to be a person who lives and who moves and who interacts with both God and people with a grateful heart, and a grateful disposition, you will never, ever fulfill the purpose that God has for your life. I'm not talking about having bouts of thankfulness. I'm not talking about being moved to thankfulness when you're in the warm, fuzzy stages of the holidays. I'm talking about if we don't learn to camp out in a stage or in a place with a heart of gratitude, life will be very, very difficult We'll be spinning our wheels and we'll always be wondering, Lord, why don't I, uh, can I walk in your best for me? Why can't I feel this deep and abiding peace? Why can't I enjoy the promises that your, that your word provides? There's a short list of things that we must have, things that we must do. Gratitude is one of those. And I just want to talk about gratitude this morning. I want to look at a passage of scripture that I think captures this quite plainly. It's Luke chapter 17. 
Uh, if you don't have a Bible, by the way, there's Bibles on the edges of each row. You can take one of those Bibles with you if you don't have one of your own. But we'll also be projecting the scriptures on the screens in front of us. Luke chapter 17. We'll read a short, short passage of scripture. And then we'll pull a few things out. Before I do that, let me pray. Lord, thank you so much. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness. I thank you so much for family and just this holiday season and the warm fuzzies that it gives us, an opportunity that you give us, Lord, to come face to face with your goodness and your blessing. Lord, we know that in order to fulfill the purpose and the plan that you have for our life, we must become people that, that are constantly moving and working and walking with hearts and dispositions of gratitude and gratefulness. And Lord, would you show us how to do that? Would you show us how to be that? Lord, I pray that you would put power on these words that you've given me to speak. Would you make them come alive in the ears of the hearers today, Lord? Would you move the preacher out of the way so that your truth and that your light would shine through, Lord? We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 17. Excuse me. And we'll start at verse 13. I'm sorry, we'll start at verse 11. As Jesus continued toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, ten lepers stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, Go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back and said, shouting, Praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. Now, if you're like me, you've heard this story a number of times. You've read this story a number of times. You've perhaps heard sermons on this story over and over and over and over again. And I think that this is a perfect pack, uh, passage that demonstrates gratitude and uh, a person completely walking in gratitude and the opposite to be very uh, exact. So Jesus was making his way back towards Jerusalem. And as he's making his way, he reaches the border of these two cities, Galilee and Samaria. And, he's, and the story says that as Jesus is uh, at this sort of border, two, ten guys come up to him and these ten guys are lepers. They're calling to Jesus from a distance. And you have to understand leprosy was this sort of nasty skin disease. And leprosy in, the, in biblical times was an absolutely terrible thing. You had all these sores over your body. It was highly contagious. And because it was highly contagious, you had to sort of be quarantined. You couldn't be within the general population. You had to be sort of set apart. You had to do all these things in order to let people know that you were an untouchable, that you were a leper. You had to wear torn and tattered clothes. You had to have your hair sort of shabby and unkempt. You had to cover the lower part of your faith. You had to yell unclean, unclean each and every time you encountered a person in the distance. It must have been a very lonely and, and, and un, 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 unsatisfying life for those who were lepers. Not to mention the fact that leprosy was considered a punishment from God. In Jesus' day, if you were rich, they assumed that God was shining down on you, that he, you, you were in his favor, that he was blessing you. If you were sick, especially with something like leprosy, people just automatically assumed that you were a wretched sinner and you were getting what you deserved from God. So 
So we see these 10 lepers and they see Jesus afar off. And instead of yelling what they're supposed to yell, which is unclean, unclean, they simply seize an opportunity knowing who Jesus is. They say, listen, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. And we've read stories where Jesus has healed people before. We're waiting for Jesus to do something cool and Jesus-like. Instead, Jesus just says, okay, go show yourself to the priest. In other words, go do what you're supposed to do once you're healed. And the implication is on your way there, you will be healed. So they go to the priest, as Jesus said, and on their way, they find themselves miraculously healed. Now imagine these guys walking along, having lived the life of a leper, and they're walking to do what Jesus tells them to do, and they find suddenly that they're healed. But something happens after they're healed. Nine of these guys continue on to get on with their life, to show themselves to the priest, to get back to normal. But one of the guys turns around, one of the guys turns around and comes back and says, thank you to Jesus. I imagine that their life is about to get 10,000 times better as they find themselves healed from this disease. But one man stops in his tracks, he turns around, and he comes back to say thank you to Jesus. Now there's also an important part of this story where the scriptures tell us that this person, the guy that comes back is a Samaritan. He tells us that one man that comes back is a Samaritan, and we understand the Jews have an issue with Samaritans. Samaritans are considered these half-breeds people who not only are mixed racially, but they're, ri- they're mixed with, in regard to their religion. They've taken a little piece of that, and they've taken a little piece of that. They're intermingled with all of these unclean religions and all, all these unclean rituals and practices. And the Jewish people, God's people, God's set-apart people, they look uh, uh, at, at Samaritans with a, with a lot of disgust. They, they despise them. They want to have nothing to do with them. And this one Samaritan comes back and thanks Jesus. Now, Jesus, having this guy come back to him, he's not initially thrilled. Instead, he looks into the distance and he says, listen, didn't I heal 10 guys? Where are the rest of your buddies? Didn't I heal 10 guys? Where are those guys? Has no one returned to give glory to God but this foreigner, this stranger, this Samaritan? And finally, Jesus says, listen, get up, dude. Your sins are forgiven. Go on and go in peace. And as we look at this story, I think it's important to zero in on a couple things. Specifically as we talk about this essential thing that we call gratitude. This essential thing that we call gratefulness. And as we look at this story, I want to look at the responses of not only the lepers, but I want to look at the responses of Jesus. The first thing we look at is the lepers' response. Ten were healed. And I think there's two distinct responses that are demonstrated among these ten lepers. And one of the things that we see in this passage, which rings true today, is that either you're a grateful person or you're not. If we're looking for some deep, profound thing to just spill out of this passage, simple things come out of this passage. The main one is either you're a grateful person or you're not. I'm not talking about you have bouts of thankfulness here or there, particularly around Thanksgiving holiday. But I'm saying either you are a person who camps out in the camp of gratitude and thankfulness or you're not. And some of you right now, you're asking yourself, am I a grateful person or am I not? Well, just stay with me. You'll be, you'll be able to answer that question with relative ease once we get done. Either you're a grateful person or you're not. 
After they're healed, verse 15 says, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Now, the implication, of course, is that the other nine folks were Jewish men who were in the same ethnic group as Jesus, of the same belief system as Jesus, from the same sort of heritage as Jesus. So one Samaritan, the lone Samaritan comes back, but the other nine does not. And I said, either you're a grateful person or you're not. What is the variable here that separates the grateful from the ungrateful? Those that are thankful versus those that are generally unthankful. I've found that the variable is nothing other than entitlement. Entitlement. And entitlement simply means that you expected something. You thought that you had that coming. You felt owed something. And let me tell you something. Entitlement will absolutely rob you of a rich and satisfying relationship with God. It will absolutely rob you of a rich and satisfying relationship with the people who share the space around you. How do we get at entitlement? The other nine, the, the, the common thing that these guys had in common, the other nine, other than the fact that they had leprosy and that they were healed, was the fact that they were Jewish. And perhaps they felt that coming to a Jewish Messiah, a Jewish healer, that perhaps that they had this coming. And perhaps they were kind of thankful, but maybe they thought, well, Jesus, it's about time something was done about this leprosy. You know, I've been away from my family for a long time. It's about time that something happened. It's about time someone got along to have. Thanks a lot, brother. Thanks a lot, Jesus, my fellow Jew. Thanks a lot because somehow when we don't thank people, when we don't think about being grateful, somehow there's a connection between that and a sense of entitlement. And a general sense of entitlement has a poisonous effect on your whole life. On your whole life. And one of the main things that sit at the bedrock of all of our lives are relationships. The very thing that sits at the very bedrock of the thing that God tells us to do, the greatest commandments, are relationships. The essence of the greatest commandment is what? Be in right relationship with God and be in right relationship with others. Be in right relationship with God. Make sure you're square with God and make sure you're square with people. Relate to God well and relate well with others. But let me tell you, you ever knew somebody who just walked in this overt sense of entitlement? I bet you that person's relationship with God was out of whack. And I can guarantee that their relationships with others were out of whack. Why? Because a sense of entitlement is poisonous. It's cancerous. It's filled with all sorts of unrealistic expectations as it relates to your relationship with both God and people. Unrealistic expectations. You listen to a person who's filled with a sense of entitlement. You ever listen to them pray? Do they start with, Lord, you're so good. I don't deserve any of your blessings. Yet you shower them down on me. Lord, I deserve death, but you gave me life. Lord, I just thank you for the little bit that I do have. Is, does that, how you think a, a person with a sense of entitlement begins their prayers? Absolutely not. Relationship with God is just filled with this wish list. The lamentations of, listen, my life's so hard. Why don't you fix this? When are you going to do this? Lord? When are you going to do this, Lord? It's about time. You know, it's... My time should be coming up, Lord. 
I'm do this. I'm owe this. Lord, please. Lord, please. This, that, and the other. Lord, I've been good. I've been serving you. You know, I work at the church. I help set up the chair. I do all this sort of stuff. Lord, it's, it's, I'm do this. I'm entitled to it. And listen, that's a toxic way to interact with the Lord. But it usually doesn't stop there for a person filled with a deep sense of entitlement. They usually carry that out in the world around them, particularly in the relationships, in the friendships, in their marriage characterized by constant disappointment. Why? Because they have all these unrealistic expectations. You feel let down almost at every turn because you have these expectations. Of your spouse, you have these unrealistic expectations. Make me smile every minute of the day. I want to have no worries at all. Just do all these sorts of things. And listen, relationships are just jacked up. You know, I've learned something um, in my, as, as, a, as a kid that has served me well in my adult life. And of the many things that my father sort of taught me, one of the main things that he taught me is to, to make sure I'm well aware or I'm fully in touch with what people owe me. In other words, we'd come home crying and say, hey, you know, so-and-so didn't share their toys with me or so-and-so didn't give me candy. My father would almost instinctively say, well, what did they owe you? What did they owe you? Did they promise you that? Did you give them some and they owe you some back? And most of the time it's like, well, no, but, you know, he gave somebody else some. And my father said he doesn't owe you anything. And every time, you know, he'd say that over and over and over and over. And what that created in me was a sense of I always want to be aware or in touch with what I'm owed. It helps me to combat a sense of entitlement. It really minimizes the disappointments in my life. A lot of times I initially felt let down or initially felt disappointed, but then I sort of subconsciously asked myself this question, well, what, what was I owed? What was I owed? And I think many of us would decolor and decomplicate our lives if we were really in touch with what we were owed, really in touch with what we had coming, as my father would say. Well, so-and-so didn't call me on my birthday. She really, I'm really mad with her. Pause and say, well, did she owe me a phone call? It'd be nice if she called me. It'd be nice if they got me something. But did she owe me a phone call? Well, I didn't get invited to that thing. That's that's sad. I'm sure you really wanted to go there. But does that person owe you that? Do they owe you that? Same in your relationship with God. Well, I didn't get that job that I've been praying for for a year. God, where were you at? And we ask ourselves, Lord, you don't owe me anything. Sense of entitlement. And those of us that walk around with a sense of entitlement live in a constant state of dissatisfaction. And some of you are here today and you know what that, you know what that feels like because you're in a constant state of dissatisfaction. You're dissatisfied with God. God's approval rating is always low. It's always low. Dissatisfied with people, you constantly feel let down. And even when God does something for you, you have a sort of it's about time mentality. You have a it's about time disposition. Entitlement. Dissatisfaction. There's no real gratitude in your relationships because when people do something nice for you, you have a disposition that says, well, it's about time you did that. You don't say thank you. You go on about your merry way because you feel entitled to that. 
And what happens? You become one of the most complicated people on the planet. You're a moving target where God can't satisfy you, people can't satisfy you and make you happy. You're constantly dissatisfied. Why? Because you feel entitled. And if you feel entitled, you can't say thank you. And I always say that your relationships are always going to be jacked up if you can't do two things. If you can't say thank you, and if you can't say I'm sorry. We're always on the receiving end of things. And we're always on the giving end of mistakes. So if we can't learn in our hearts, in our relationships that matter most, to say thank you and to say I'm sorry, we're going to be really messed up. And some of us in this room this very day are in a messed up state. None of our relationships have any depth or meaning or fulfillment because we can't say thank you. Can't say thank you. And even if we say it, we don't mean thank you. It's a social nicety. It's a learned behavior. But how many of you know that gratitude, you feel that? You give somebody something and they're genuinely grateful for what you've given. You feel it. You see it in their eyes. You see it in their smile. The disposition is one of gratefulness and that says that in their heart, they're thankful. But when you're not thankful, when you have a sense of entitlement, when your life is characterized by disappointment, The quality of your life is very poor because your quality of relationship with the people and the God that matter most are generally out of whack. And I think this might be uh, what was at play in these Jewish men. They might have felt entitled to this. Because they felt entitled to this, that natural sense that should have kicked in and said, let me go back and thank the Lord for this. It was completely overrided by the desire to get back to normal and to do what they wanted to do anyway. So that was the nine, that was the, that was the nine lepers. But we see a completely different and opposite reaction from the man who we simply know as a Samaritan man. A despised Samaritan who had nothing in common with Jews. Who shouldn't have even been approaching Jesus. We see something completely different and we see this man's uh, sort of understanding was not one of entitlement was not one of, Lord, you owe me this. Instead, it was a disposition that says, Lord, I know you didn't owe me a thing. I know you didn't owe me a thing. And this is the opposite of entitlement. You owe me this. It's about time. The opposite of entitlement, which leads to a disposition of gratitude and gratefulness, is, listen, you didn't owe me a thing, but yet you gave me this. Somebody walks in and gives you a present, and you're just standing there like, what did I do to get this? What? It's, sometimes I've been given things and I'm just like speechless. I'm like, oh, thank you. I didn't get you anything. You know, I wish I'd known. Why? Because in my heart I'm saying, man, this, I didn't have this coming. I, I wasn't owed this. I, I didn't have this coming. Samaritan man is very in touch with the fact that Jesus doesn't owe him a second look. And yet, and yet, Jesus brings healing to him. And it's out of that understanding that the Lord owed me nothing, and yet he's changed my life. He's changed my life. I can go, ahead, I can go home and hug my wife now. I can tuck my kids in. I can go back to my job. I can earn an income again. I can hold my head up high. I can move and walk among the public again. I can go and worship. My life is drastically different. I didn't deserve this. Let me get back and thank this man. Let me get back and say thank you. Because I appreciate it. 
was a natural response from a person whose heart was filled with gratitude and thankfulness. The opposite of entitlement. It was the opposite of indifference. And as we look at how these lepers, particularly these guys that are in these two groups, the nine and the one, we look at how they respond, I think it's equally important, if not more important, to study Jesus' response to these guys. Jesus says, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Now, Jesus can be a mysterious character sometimes. How would you like it if you came to somebody? It's just like me showing up at a party by myself, and I'm greeting you, and instead of saying, hi, good to see you, you say something like, where's Shannon? Where's your wife? <laughs> like, hey, David, how you doing, man? Where's Jojo? Where, where are your kids? I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm right here. <laughs> Imagine this guy might have been like, Lord, I'm right here. Okay, I came back. But what, what does Jesus say? He says, listen, excuse me, guy, can you step aside? Where are the others? Did they stop and get a drink? Where are the other nine guys that I healed? Nobody's come back but the Samaritan. Now, I think Jesus didn't do this to be rude to this fellow. I think the master might have known that we might be reading this some thousands of years later. And I think what Jesus illustrates in these few sentences is that he is expecting gratitude. He's expecting it. Listen, Jesus wasn't so busy healing people left and right that he didn't remember that there was 10 guys. After all, he's full of the Holy Spirit. He's probably very in touch with what he's doing, okay? And Jesus says, I'm no math whiz, but, you know, I healed 10 guys and one came back. What that says to me is that Jesus expects gratitude. And I've been a Christian long enough to know that I better give the master what he expects. I better give the master what he expects. Because Jesus isn't haphazard in his dealing with us. He's not whimsical. He's not just sort of matter of fact. He expects what he expects for a good reason. He demands what he demands for a good reason. And gratitude and gratefulness is something that he not only demands, but he expects from us. Perhaps he specifically expected it from the fellow Jewish, from, from, from his fellow Jews. Jesus says, where are these guys at? Where are they at? And you better believe that when the Lord looks down and surveys the goodness and blessing that he's given you in your life, you better believe that he expects gratitude. Now, what you, you may ask this morning, well, how do, I, how, do I, how do I figure out what to give thanks for and what's kind of owed me? Let, me? let me put it this way. When you understand that we are in our very nature sinful and selfish. In other words, you came out of the box sinful and selfish. And the scriptures tell us that what sinful, selfish people deserve, death, separation from God, complete and utter, utter annihilation. The wrath of God is what we deserve because of our sinfulness. And even after the Father has died for our sins, we continue to sin in our own sinful nature. What we generally deserve is death, separation from God. Absolutely none of his goodness, absolutely none of his mercy, absolutely none of his favor. That's what we absolutely deserve. So anything, from my vantage point, on top of death and annihilation is bonus. Okay? Anything on top of complete separation from God. Complete separation from his blessings and his goodness. Anything on top of that is bonus. 
The scripture says that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights above. Every good and perfect gift, whether you're a devout Christian or a wretched sinner, everything good in your life comes from the Lord. Even those things that you don't have the wisdom to label as good, all of those things come from God. So in every space, in every stage of life, around every corner, if you wake up and breathing, you can open your eyes. If you can move your limbs, if you are at the luxury of having so much as a spare change cup in your house, you're among the richest people in the world, that's room to give thanks. That's reason to be grateful. It's reason to say, Lord, thank you that my body isn't racked with pain. And even if it is, sometimes I thank you that I can move and I can walk around and I can go to work. Thank you, Lord, that I can grab my kids in the morning and hug them. I thank you, Lord, that I have a meal, a hot meal on the table because some people in this world don't have that. Perhaps some people on your block, they don't have that luxury. And the Lord expects gratitude. He says, where are those guys? Where are they at? Why aren't they here? No one has returned to give glory to God except this foreigner. Except this foreigner. I think there's something hidden in that sentence that I think is almost universally true as it relates to our life with Jesus as Christians and the things that God happens to do for those that are on the outside of the faith. I love praying for and giving words to prophecy to people who are, who are not church people. They just seem to appreciate it more. A friend of mine, Robbie Dawkins, who has a wonderful healing ministry, says, listen, we don't see the type of healings that we, we want to see in our church, specifically because the, that's not particularly where God intended that stuff to be operating, for the most part. If you look at it, where Jesus did ministry, you look at who Jesus healed, he was healing like wretched people, people on the outside of the faith. Jesus was taking his ministry to there. And when we look in the stories in the scriptures, when we see Jesus heal somebody, that the outpouring of gratitude and gratefulness was just immense. They couldn't believe that a wretched person like myself would even be even considered by the master. Lord, thank you so much. My sins are forgiven. My life is made new. Great. I'm thankful. And Jesus says, there's something wrong with that. That the foreigner... The person who've just gotten a slither of my goodness, slither of, they've seen a slither of my power. This is new to them, and they have more gratitude and they have more gratefulness. The foreigner, the person on the outside of the faith, they have more gratitude, they have more thankfulness than those of us who experience it on a daily basis. We've taken it for granted, we've gotten used to God's goodness. We've gotten used to God calling us out in a crowded room and giving us a word. We've gotten used to getting prayer in a small group and having our aches go away. We've gotten used to having a family, community of faith where we can be a part of and we can just love on one another and be loved. And we've gotten used to that. We've taken it for granted so much so that we don't even thank God for it anymore. But we want some big stuff. Take away this cancer, Lord, and then, then we'll talk about gratitude. Okay? We'll deal with this lump that I've had for a couple of years, and then we'll talk about gratitude. You know, he, heal my mother, or you know, bring my wayward son back to me, and then, and then, then we'll talk about it. And the Lord says, listen, has the only one returned to give glory except this, this, this foreigner? Is the only one who is excited about my goodness? People who are strange to it? 
people who are on the outside, God expects gratitude. So he, he looks past this guy. He's looking for these other guys. And finally, he decides to deal with the guy that's standing in front of him. Verse 19. And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Now, by all accounts, if you, if you study this scripture, Jesus essentially is, is not just bringing healing to this guy, but he's bringing healing to this guy. And by healing, I mean salvation. And oftentimes when Jesus heals somebody, he's, after he heals them, he'll say something like, salvation has come to your house. Or go and sin no more, which is an indication that not only has the physical ailment been healed, but the thing that needs healing the most is healed, and that is your soul. God's concerned about your soul. I'm concerned about your soul. When I come here preaching to you, I'm, pre- I'm preaching at your soul because God cares about your soul. And what we've been trained to do when we go out into the streets and we pray for healing and a person gets healed and they see that excitement, their excitement, we say, listen, what God did for your eye or whatever he's healed, what God did for your leg, he wants to do for your whole life. Well, Jesus said, listen, man, you, you, you think, you know, being healed of that leprosy is something. I just did that for your whole life. You are completely healed or some translators say you are whole, which means nothing missing and nothing broken. This Samaritan, this foreigner, was granted wholeness. Guess who missed out on that? Guess who blew an opportunity to be made whole? Guess who blew an opportunity to be made right with the king of kings? With a great physician who not only has the power to heal our ailing bodies, but who has the power to do business and do work and to do surgery, life-saving work on our soul. Guess who missed out on that? I can count nine people. I can count nine of them. So all of a sudden, gratitude isn't just something that we ought to do out of obligation and out of duty. We should. But we find also that gratitude does what? It makes room for more. It makes room for more. It makes room for more. I find that the most blessed people are grateful people. I'm not talking about people who seem to have the most stuff, because you know, I don't use that as an indication of blessing. I'm talking about people who, te- who tend to have a, a, a huge measure of functionality in their life, in their relationships, in their relationship to God and to others. The business dealings and the, the, the way that they sort of move through life, high level of functionality. I just find that those people tend to be grateful people. And I'm not talking about just getting on their knees and they thank you. They regularly make it a habit of turning around and going back to people who have helped them and people who have blessed them and people who have held doors open for them. And they regularly go back and they say thank you. And it's a biblical principle that gratitude, whether it be to God or to be to the people around you, it makes room for more. In the Samaritan's case, he received not just healing, but he received wholeness and salvation. It makes room for more. One of the sentences, if you just sort of bugged my house at home, one of the sentences that you will hear me say constantly as I'm usually talking to my young sons, as I'm giving them something, I, I mean, they're young, they're young enough where I have to basically give them their food out of the refrigerator and all this sort of stuff. I'm constantly giving them things. And not only am I constantly giving them things, I'm constantly saying this. What do you say? What do you say? 
what do you say? If I had a dollar, no, if I had a nickel, for every time I said, what do you say, I'd be a very wealthy man. I'd be a very wealthy man. Constantly saying to these boys, what do you say? And usually it's for a please, or it's usually for a thank you. And sometimes I don't even let it go until I get both. Sometimes I don't even let it go until I get both. So I'm handing something to my, my son Joseph, and I, and I say, please, and before I let it go, thank you. Why? Because I want to teach them to be grateful people. I want to teach them to be polite and kind. More importantly, I just want that to be an automatic reaction to kindness that they are shown. I want it to be automatic. I want it to be automatic. That's the truth. How weird would it be if they're 18 years old and I'm still saying, what do you say, Joe? What do you say, son? Thank you. It's weird, right? But some of us, 19, 20, 30, 40, 50, and we haven't learned to be grateful. It's probably not your fault. But you're hearing this today, so now you're on the hook. Gratitude. Not because you should, and you should, but because it makes room for so much more. And just as I'm holding on to the thing before I let it go, I'm waiting on that thank you, I imagine that God is doing the same thing. There are a great number of things in your life. The great number of things in your life. And God is saying, unfold your arms, get your hands off your hips, because I don't owe you anything. And once you begin to figure that out, And to soften your heart and move toward a place of gratitude, I will release some things. I will give you the full measure of your healing. I'll give you the full measure of your relationships. I will give you the full measure of those things that I planned and purposed to give you. But I can't have you thinking it's okay to be selfish. I can't have you thinking that it's okay to walk around as if I owe you something. Can't have you thinking that's okay can't have my sons walking in and out of the kitchen, in and out of my life, taking, taking, taking. I can't afford to do that. I'm charged with their education. And the Lord feels the same way. He can't have you thinking that that's okay. So I wonder what might unlock in your life if you move through life with gratitude. If you just made it a practice of being thankful. What might unfold? What might unlock? What might come unstuck in your world and in your life? What might? What might? Why? Because gratitude always makes room for more. What's the big picture here? The big picture is that gratitude is something that we should move from the optional category or that will be nice category and we should move it squarely to the category of things that we absolutely cannot get about without. And let's despiritualize and demystify this concept. This is a life purpose issue, and it deals with your relationship with God as much as it deals with your relationship with people. It deals with both of those realms. And if you can't learn to say thankful and to mean, uh, say thank you and to mean thank you when it comes to the goodness and the greatness of your Heavenly Father, the fact that He interacts with you even though you deserve death. He blesses you even though you've missed it over and over. He welcomes you even though you've missed it over and over. And we can't learn to say thankful and be thankful for that. Life's not going to work for you. 
can't learn to turn around in your life and say thank you to your spouse and to the people who have held doors open for you, made things happen for you. Life's going to be complicated for you. And you'll always stay stuck because you won't be fulfilling God's purpose, which is to be square with him and to be square with others. Friends, what sits at the very foundation of that is gratitude and thankfulness. Worship team, you can come up. So I ask you a simple question this morning as I conclude. Where are you today? Where are you this morning? Some of you say, you know what, I'm so far from being a person that's thankful I'm so far from just sort of camping out in a place of gratitude and thankfulness, it's not even funny. And I can see, preacher, how my life is complicated because of it. Some of you, that's where you are. Others of you say, you know, I just, I have moments, I have spells where I move in and out of gratitude, in and out of seasons of thankfulness, but it's not nearly as constant as I'd like it. It's not nearly as constant as it should be, but I'm just in a very, very in and out place. And others of you, you, what I'm saying rings true because you live, you've camped out, you've pitched your tent in a place of gratitude and thankfulness. Some of you have been brought from such humble or such sort of tragic beginnings and you're so in touch with what God has done for you and you're so in touch with what you know, God has blessed you with and you're so thankful and you're so grateful. Listen, that's the place to be. And for those of you who find yourself, those of us, I should say, who find ourselves in those first two categories, listen, you know, I came here to put a mirror in front of you this morning. I came to tell you what God expects from you and what you can expect from God. There's absolutely no condemnation wrapped up in this message that I give you today. It's only designed to be instructional and informational and move you to action. So if you can be honest with yourself about where you stand, which, which of those categories you fall into, I think that as we worship, and if with a sincere heart you ask the Lord to sort of break up the rocky ground, break up the sense of entitlement, break up whatever causes you to not be thankful or grateful, both God and with other people, I think that the Lord will do that for you. I think he will honor that, the, the request of your heart and move you into a place of thanksgiving. Move you into a place where gratitude is your natural default and to be ungrateful is, you know, a deviation from what's normal. I think that the Lord will give you that. And also, if you feel moved to come up and get prayer for that afterwards so that the Lord can just touch you and just unlock the things that keep you stuck in your life, I think the Lord wants to do that. But gratitude, gratefulness, thankfulness is absolutely essential. And I hope you go with me in a lifelong pursuit of that. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you. For your word, I thank you for your truth. I thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us wondering and just sort of floundering around, just sort of hitting and missing, but rather, Lord, you speak directly to the things that uh, keep us stuck. You speak directly to those things, Lord, that, that keep us from moving forward, keep us from receiving all that you have for us. So, Lord, by your spirit today, I pray that you would fall in this place. By your spirit today, Lord, I pray that you would put a clear mirror in front of us so that we can see ourselves for who we truly are. Lord, I also pray that you would allow us to see you for who you really are. A God who owes us nothing, but yet gives us so much. A God who owes us death and annihilation and separation and punishment. Lord, you took that upon yourself. And for that alone, Lord, we have reason to dance and shout and sing and to cry holy and worship you. So, Lord, would you give us the grateful dispositions that you require of us? 
And for those of us who struggle, Lord, would you do whatever it takes to move us to that place? Lord, as we worship you, would you soften our hearts this morning? Soften our hearts toward you and soften our hearts toward others. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.